Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is going to be part four of the Appalachian Trail series, and we're going basically from the exit of the Smoky Mountains, where we left off, all the way up to the border with Virginia. So this is sort of the last section of what was considered sort of the deep south of the Appalachian Trail. And I really... If I had to uh, pick a portion of the trail, excuse me, if I had to pick a portion of the trail that I wanted to do again, it would absolutely be the Deep South. Maybe, maybe without the Smokies, uh, just because the the shelter policies and all that sort of stuff are pretty not fun. But the rest of it is just absolutely amazing. And when Scuba Steve and I left the Smokies, we were basically totally finished with camping in shelters and being stuck with, you know, I don't know, 15 other people crammed into a shelter and the mice and all the wetness, all that sort of stuff. So uh, just a few miles out of the Smokies and you come to what I consider to be one of the coolest hiking hostels on the whole trail called, uh, I think it's called Standing Bear, Standing Bear Farm. And it's basically fashioned to look like an old mining camp. So there's a couple little cabins, there's a big bunkhouse, um, there's a little resupply store. The guy who owns it was super cool. Um, and just, it was great. We, we rolled in there and I, I flipped the big, $20 bill so that uh, we could just stay in our own cabin because we we needed to be able to literally lay everything out. I mean, tents, tarps, anything and everything we could because we were just soaked to the bone from, from being in the Smokies and we were filthy. So everything had to be rinsed and all that sort of stuff. And we figured rather than try and snake around everybody in the bunkhouse, uh, plus after being in the Smokies with all those people for so long, we we had no desire. <laughs> but uh, we get in there, and it was this cool, tiny little cabin, you know, no heat or anything like that. But it had a loft, and then it had another bunk down below, little desk, all this sort of stuff. It did have electricity, but it was built directly over a creek, so you could hear this creek sort of rolling underneath you, which was, I don't know, it was it was pretty neat. And uh, as we're as we're unpacking all our stuff, um, Scuba he looks at me. He's just like, "Dude, where's my tent?" <laughs> and we start looking around. It's nowhere to be found. And uh, we realize that he must have dropped it when we we took a few pictures uh, under Interstate 40. And so we we tunnel out of there and and we're just just about outside of the driveway when uh, two more hikers come up and. And one of them is holding Scuba Steve's tent, and it was a guy by the name of Bojangles, and then his his buddy was Tuna, and it was just it was so funny to to meet these guys that way because we would have other encounters for for the rest of the time, and I even actually last year in 2020 um, Bojangles came with me on Mighty Sparrow and sailed from South Carolina up to Maine, so. 
those AT connections, they, they have a way of really holding on. So it's pretty cool. But it was, you know, Bojangles must have carried that tent for at least a mile, maybe a mile and a half, which you got to remember that he's already carrying 30, 35 pounds of his own gear. So pretty above and beyond. And that's that's probably why we've all stayed in touch. But so we meet these guys, super cool, and um, playing horseshoes, beers, pizzas, all that sort of stuff. Everything you do whenever you're off trail, you're just basically trying to gorge and gain back as many calories as you're you're burning every day. So we had a great stop there, totally refreshed, just one night, and then we hit the trail again. We were actually pretty psyched to just get back out into the woods and be able to set up our own camp and, you know, burn some miles off, keep moving north. And so we took off, and, um, you know, the trail – it's definitely not as difficult as the Smokies because they are pretty tough, but the remainder of the border section between North Carolina and, and Tennessee, you know, it goes on for maybe a hundred and something miles and you're going over some pretty big mountains and just really having to push pretty hard every single day. And it, you know, the rains didn't quit. There were one of the really great days was spent on this rocky ridge line and even though there weren't any views because the fog was so thick it just lent this prehistoric sort of feel to the place and this went on and on and on and I remember specifically one time Scuba and I we passed by this shelter and I think it was only like two or three in the afternoon and we just you know Typically, we would look at all the shelters just to see what they look like because they're all kind of unique and everything. And it's a good time to just stop and eat something, basically, uh, or pump water if you need to. And the whole place was just packed and people were trying to sleep and all this sort of stuff. And I remember standing there and talking to Scuba and just, I don't know, it, it just didn't make any sense, excuse me, to us that you would just try and sleep away (laughs) a day just because it was raining and and I mean obviously it's miserable and and everybody's sort of hiking their own their own hike and and doing their own deal but I don't know he and I were just burning up miles and and finding cool camp spots and one of the the actually scariest nights we had was uh soon after the Smokies we're camping just middle of nowhere. I think we had stumbled across an old, you know, cowboy camping spot where there was already a little fire pit, but it wasn't marked on the trail or anything like that. And this is still, the forest is winter dead. There's no insects. It's just, it's quiet. It's so quiet that you can hear, you know, your ears ringing all the time. You know, when you lay your head down, there's just not a sound. There wasn't any wind or anything. And somewhere in the middle of the night, all I remember was hearing a really loud pop and then the slow sound of a tree falling over. And not just like a a tree, like we're talking a huge tree. And it was maybe, I mean, it sounded like it was right next to us, but it was probably a hundred yards away. We never actually even looked for it in the morning, uh, which I still don't understand why it must've been just too cold to, to do anything besides get going and hit the trail. But I was, I, I, my heart and my adrenaline was going so crazy that night. 
it probably took me an hour or so just to be all fall asleep again. And because I, I just, I mean, that noise, not knowing what did it and why it happened. I, I thought for sure something had probably pushed it over, but I mean, you got to picture yourself. You're, you're alone in this little tent, you know, scuba's over, I don't know, 10, 15 feet away in his tent. And all of a sudden, just out of perfect silence is this huge commotion in the woods, pitch black. I mean, I, I, it was, it was probably the most instantaneous, terrifying moment, uh, I'd ever had on the, on the trail. And I'll never forget that little spot. I remember taking a picture of it. It was just, it was, it was something, but we kept going and soon, uh, it was only a few days. And then we ended up in hot springs, um, hot springs north carolina and that was a cool little town met up with a ton of other hikers um and again i think tuna and bojangles we all ended up going out and having a big dinner together which was really really fun i was staying in this little cabin all the way up on the north side of town right next to these train tracks and i remember putting after plenty of beers sort of a throwback to when i was a kid and i put uh uh, a quarter on the track and I actually grabbed it the next day flattened out just right and uh, I've actually st- I still have that it's sort of always been my good luck charm and uh, scratched a little AT insignia into it and yeah it still actually sits at home along with my uh, my pith helmet and my two walking sticks which are all like lashed together because I was breaking them by the end of the trip, but I didn't want to let them go because they were they're so weathered and they looked so good. But I'd say one of the one of the big peaks, uh, or one of the big perks of of the AT in that section is that you go from Hot Springs and then pretty soon you're in Irwin, Tennessee, and there was even another spot where we ducked out and actually ended up camping. It was towards the end, but uh, or not camping, but we went into this town. Got we hitchhiked in. It was a bit off the beaten path, but somehow, through just talking with people, we got referred to a lady who actually rented a house, and it was off season for them, so they rented it to us for really cheap, and we got there. And literally, this was like a three story chalet. Uh, you would think it would cost like $500 a night sort of thing. Hot tub that didn't work, but still had one. And, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. This, this whole section, you're sort of, you're in the woods for about five days and then you're out of the woods for a day and then you're back in the woods. So it, it had this nice rhythm. And even though the hills and everything and the mountains were, were pretty gnarly and the weather was still pretty cold, it was starting to feel like spring out you kind of had that idea and that that feeling that it was coming around and it was going to start to warm up pretty soon. <clears throat> so as we as we keep going and going, um, one of the other cool things that that this section of the trail really has to offer are all the balds. So all these mountain tops, you know, you're going through forest, can't see anything except just the trees around you, but then. For whatever reason, down there, instead of getting to the the peak of these these mountains and still not having a view, you get up there and it's a huge grassy area. So you get to see all the surrounding hillsides. And I think the biggest one is a place called Max Patch. And 
I mean, it's huge. You could have a football stadium up there if you wanted to. And they, they're, they're not a hundred percent sure what the actual origins are. Uh, but basically, you know, they knew that people would take them up and graze, um, you know, sheep and, and goats and things like that up there. But before that, they they thought, you know, maybe it was lightning strikes. And, you know, we, we definitely found that one out just because we were constantly running into these big thunderstorms. And as we approached uh, Roan Mountain, which is sort of the, the last of the big 6,000-foot uh, mountains that you're going to climb before you get way up north. Um, we were up there, and just as we were approaching sort of the highest peaks on that, this big thunderstorm rolled in. And I definitely, I, I just remember a feeling of, you know, absolute, it's hard to put into words because there's nothing that you can do. There's nowhere that you can hide. There's no, you know, there, there's people have always had little suggestions. Oh, well, you should take your watch off and or you should you should crouch down behind a rock or blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff is just nonsense. Nobody knows where that lightning bolt is going to strike or how it's going to strike. But it's it's pretty scary when you're on those exposed ridge lines. I mean, I think you're probably even less safe when you're in the forest around all the trees. But. Up on Roan Mountain, there aren't any trees. There's nothing but it's like grassland and rocks and these ponies and just uh, it was pretty nuts. I I do have to relate one story. <laughs> we were we were all warned about camping up there whenever um, you felt like you were in an area where either there were these little ponies, these wild ponies, or you might be in an area where you see evidence of them. And this guy, I guess, had camped out one night and. It was sort of, I don't know if it was in a spot where he shouldn't have or, or what, but around two in the morning, something like that, all of a sudden these, these ponies started sort of coming around because, I don't know, they saw his tent or whatever, and they just decided that was a cool place to chill. And he said, you know, it startled him at first, and then he went back to bed, but it wasn't long before it basically sounded like they were pouring water all over. And basically the, the ponies were, were peeing <laughs> all around. And at first he was laughing about it, but then he said the smell hit him and he had to get up in the middle of the night, pack all his stuff up and move his tent. And uh, so that was a, a good, good little warning lesson for us. Uh, and, and we heeded that definitely. And we were, we were just punching miles out. We were getting to the point, and this is about four weeks into the trail where you start to get so strong, you're really developing like your leg strength. The knees are not really hurting quite as much. Your feet are getting stronger. So we were inching our way ever closer to just doing these 20 mile or more than 20 mile days. And when you do finally break into that, all of a sudden, you know, these distances, if you've got a, a 70 mile different distance in between towns, it's going to be a three-dayer instead of a four- or five-dayer or even a six-dayer, really. So you you kind of you can feel yourself sort of throttling up and throttling up, and then all of a sudden you're, you're just laying down such big miles that it almost starts to get scary because you feel like you're going to run through this, this trail too fast. And 
as we were already coming up to the end of the Deep South, which we were enjoying so much, it was, I, I remember, and I wrote a lot in my journal about how I really need to cherish these moments. You know, you, you hear all sorts of stuff about what's going on further up the trail, regulations, this, that, and the other thing. But you always hear about how down in the Deep South, you can do whatever you want. You can camp wherever you want. You can have fires wherever you want. And I don't know if that's still the case now. I I would like to think so, but um, it was just such a great spot. I mean, we would go and hike all day and then just try and pick out the coolest spot to camp that night. And for me, somebody who absolutely loves camping, you just can't beat it. Um, I was just in like my Shangri-La. It was fantastic. But we get over Roan Mountain, we get through all that, and we ended up staying at one shelter, and I know I keep saying I don't stay at them, but this one was special. Um, this one's called Over Mountain Shelter, and what it is is this huge old red barn. It's got sort of the shelter style on one side where it's just a big ledge uh, wood platform that's exposed on one side, and then you can actually go up these rickety old stairs, and there's a whole loft section, and we arrived in there. I almost actually passed it. I ended up walking up the next hill and then looking back because it was a foggy day and actually seeing the barn and being like, oh, oh my gosh, I already almost missed it. And uh, I turned around, go back down, and um, there must have been, oh, I'd say at least eight, maybe ten hikers there. And some of the ones that I remember that we we hung out with after that was the new ones were Meats jc and pretzel and I, I can't remember if extreme was there or not but we were definitely hanging out with him in hot springs i don't know it was it was just awesome it was a there was so much room because you can go up in the loft that you know everybody had their own space and such but um i don't know it was just a sort of good feeling and and by that time on the trail you're sharing the experience so thoroughly with all these other people that the amount of stories and all that sort of stuff they just it it's a it's just great it's like hanging out with school buddies or something like that I don't know it's it really is great it's almost like because you're not hiking together and sometimes a few days will go in between and then all of a sudden you bump into them again it's it's almost like having a bunch of mini reunions so you see them oh my gosh hey how's it going this is great can't believe it and uh so i really really like that and we go crash there for the night still raining and everything but um it was it was it was super cool and it's always it's sort of a legendary shelter i think it's being sort of revamped because man i do remember walking around that thing like i'm on tippy toes because it it seemed like it was gonna fall down at any moment or i was just gonna fall through some of the planks or something like that but we ended up, you know, spending a good time there. And I think one of the funniest things, I I was always the guy on the trail that wanted to hang the food from bears all the time. I don't know. It's something that kind of goes back to when I used to camp with my buddies up in uh, northern Michigan and Minnesota. It's just it's like a habit. And I, I honestly, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, it's just sort of a fun little task you got to do. And it definitely keeps you from 
getting those midnight snacks because it's such a pain to go and get out of your sleeping bag and go untie the food, drop it down and then eat and then put it back up and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, most hikers would just keep their food bag right next to them uh, or they would hang it inside of the shelter on these little strings with um, with tuna cans on them to try to make it so mice can't actually you know, get into it. Cause if a mouse comes up, it'll just chew a hole right through your waterproof food bag. And, and then you're in, in a little bit of trouble there with that one. So I, I just remember everybody sort of joined in and we tried to hang it. It was pretty much right outside of the shelter, but I don't think we got it more than, more than maybe six feet eight feet off the ground. So it was like right there. You could touch it. <laughs> it was it was more a ceremony than than anything. But yeah, over mountain shelter was definitely pretty cool. I I really, really enjoyed being there. And then, you know, we basically take off from there and we're we're at that point getting into like one more day of being on the border and then we dive right into just Tennessee proper. And it's all good hiking up there. We ended up going into this little town um, called Hamilton. That was the one that was a little far off the beaten path and just a bunch of like subway. And that was where Steve and I ended up getting that house. Everybody else kind of kept hiking on and we were, we just figured why not. So (laughs) we rented this little, this big old house, just the two of us. And uh, man, it was nice because they had a full kitchen and everything. And I just remember making tons of bacon, tons of eggs. Oh, it was, it was really, really good. And then, yeah, the rest of it was, was just basically camping in epic spots. And as we were getting closer and closer to the Virginia border, we started to do less of the up and down, up and down, up and down and more ridgeline walking. And our one of our last days that we were in Tennessee, we ended up on this ridgeline that was so cool. You had definitely people's houses and stuff like that, maybe, I don't know, a thousand feet or more down the hills on either side. But it lent itself to, I don't know, this, this eerie sort of sunset, kind of hiking where you have all the twinkling lights and you can hear dogs barking and stuff like that and but you're still in the middle of the woods and you're you're on this ridgeline way above everything it was it was pretty cool it was a little bit of a change up from just deep dark quiet forest it was all of a sudden uh, a little bit more alive and a little bit more lived in and we kept coming across more and more people at that point uh, but we were we were all headed to the same destination, which is Damascus, Virginia. So you cross over the state line, and then you're pretty much headed to probably the most popular of all uh, AT through hiker towns, Damascus, where they have they have big parties there, huge celebrations, all sorts of stuff. There's there's a bunch of outfitters, and there's there's hostels and bars, and everything is sort of geared towards hikers. So we knew it was going to be it was going to be pretty insane when we got in there, <clears throat> but yeah, we just, we basically cruised our way through. And, um, I do remember getting to that border 
And I think that day, the day before we got into Damascus and into Virginia proper, I think we had recorded our first like 22, 23 mile days. So everything was really, really going. At this point, we, I want to say we crossed over on day 30 of the, the hike. So we were in for an entire month. And so, you know, personally, everything just felt great. Knees, everything was, was really booming at this point. And that lent itself to a really, I, I don't want to say a feeling that, yeah, I knew that I had this trail wrapped up because there were still, I think, 1,700 miles to go, maybe 1,800 miles to go. So we barely had really uh, chipped away at the actual mileage. But after going through the knee pain and all that sort of stuff and having to ice my knees, all that, you know, you, as soon as you do start to feel a whole lot better and that stuff started goes away, it definitely gives you a confidence of thinking, okay, I think, I think I'm going to be able to start putting down the miles to be able to reach Mount Katahdin and actually get there. But at that point you would never say it. You'd always, always maybe whisper it, but you still, even when people would ask, you know, are you, are you through hiking? You'd say, well, I'm trying, or are you, are you headed to Maine? And it was like, well, I guess we'll see. Cause everybody, I don't know. You, you just didn't want to, you didn't want to seem cocky because you just know that the trail can can just basically uh, tear you apart at a moment's notice. I mean, it, it doesn't take much out there, and you do have to take that sort of stuff seriously. I mean, you can get injured, and all of a sudden your trail hike's over. You can have, uh, I, I mean, I guess you could have a bear attack. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't think those are very prevalent, but now there's there's just there's a lot of pitfalls that that can happen and so you do have to be on your toes but for me it was more of just not trying to act like I had it in the bag when I still had so much more to do but some of the other things that I was doing at this point I had a bit of a gear switch up where normally I was staying in this really little I call it a coffin tent because it basically just is right over the top of you you barely have any headroom at all I mean I would always be able to you know, lay on my stomach and write in my journal and look at the, the maps and all that sort of stuff. But it was super tiny. And my brother, Adam, had sent me my tarp. And having a tarp is great, especially there were still no bugs. So I didn't have to worry about that. It was mostly just it was super easy to put up. And you were essentially just camping on the ground. And so it kept the rain off of me. And I don't know. It just it, it makes you feel like, or it makes me feel like, you're in the woods a little bit more. You're less separated, even though a tent really doesn't separate you all that much. But it also gave me sort of the ability to um, sort of get out of the rain a little bit better. Where if it was still raining, I would set up the tent and then I would set the tarp up sort of just in front of the tent, you know, to, to give it almost like I have a porch now. And so I could sit there and at least, you know, or, or just be able to open my tent up because it was being covered by the tarp and, and still get some fresh air. Cause there's nothing, when you have one of those little coffin tents, if it's raining and you have to keep everything closed it's it's pretty awful it's it's such a small area that you just don't even want to be in there reading a book or doing anything like that you just 
you just don't want to be in there. There's a claustrophobia that, that comes around after a while. So plus all the moisture from you breathing and all that sort of stuff gets pretty bad. But we, uh, we were having a great time. I mean, and, and with our new crew, so to speak, even though we weren't always camping together because most of those guys would stay at shelters. Uh, I know Jay-Z, JC and Pretzel, they used to always try and camp out as well. And we were always trying to spread spread that news that it was, you know, such a, a much more pleasant thing. Because there were a lot of people that were, I think, just under the impression or they just really liked the safety of being in a, um, a shelter. But it, it makes for miserable sleep. You got mice, you got all that stuff. And, and we would always, you know, anybody that wanted to camp with us, more than, more than happy to, to have anybody along and stuff. But we also, we didn't plan really much of anything. So it wasn't like Scuba and I would, would figure out where we were going to stop or anything like that. It was basically, we'd start hiking in the morning. And sometimes I'd leave first, sometimes he'd leave first, and we'd meet up wherever we met up. And that was kind of cool. We we had always talked about how, you know, we, we came to the trail by ourselves, and we'd been sort of hiking together, camping together off and on. And we always talked about how hard it must be to actually stick, like, two people or more together and always sort of have everything planned out and all that stuff. I mean, in some ways, it can be great because you always know you're, you've got another person to camp with and you've got the company. But at the same time, if you want to burn another six miles or something at the end of the day and the other guy's got blisters, then you got to do this sort of compromise thing. And I don't know. I, I always found it fun to just totally loose, fancy-free, hike hike wherever you want, how much you want, and... Uh, and you can just go for it. So that was that was pretty much it. I know this is going to be sort of a, a shorter little episode, but it's it's one of those things where we were just so happy to be back camping in an unregulated place. I think that was sort of the biggest f- fallback or the, the biggest uh, downfall of the Smokies is that you just get so jammed up with everybody. And it makes you just really yearn for the wide open spaces of the trail. And I don't know, it was just, it, it was, it was cool to see all those towns go through the balds and, you know, we could have done without the lightning and thunder and fog that was pretty constant out there. But at the same time, you make it through one of those days or one of those nights and you sort of feel a little bit more like a, kind of more like a mountain man really. I mean, you're you're you got another story to tell and even though it's scary at the time, it's still it's worth it when you're finished. And uh we were definitely feeling that when we we finally stepped foot in Virginia. And I I think our hopes for the great state of Virginia, which is the largest portion of the AT, I believe it's 550 miles. Uh and they actually, in the guidebooks, they break it up into four different sections. We're not going to do that on this podcast. It's just going to be one. But it's it, it has a bad reputation for people dropping out when they were so confident that they were going to be able to make it. Because um, the majority of people, I think, drop out within just the first couple of weeks. And then by the time they get to the Smokies, there's a bunch of people that drop out. 
and then it sort of trickles off after there. But Virginia being as long as it is, it kind of feels like you're not – well, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but basically what we were doing – we were told about the Virginia Blues – about you get depressed in Virginia. Virginia is a long state. It's not it's not super hard compared to like Tennessee or the Smokies. There's still big, big hills, big mountains, but it's it's the endurance of it and I guess just feeling like you're not getting anywhere because the state line is so far away. I mean, if you're doing 20 miles a day, you're still looking at a month basically uh in virginia just to get through it so i don't know i i was sort of looking forward to it just because i had always always heard about you know it's just going to be a little bit easier hiking a little more ridge ridge walking and you've got the shenandoahs all that sort of stuff there's a lot of stuff that i was looking forward to in there but i i definitely was torn because i knew that the deep south i always broke the trail up as the deep south um the south anything south of mason Dis- the mason dixon line and then you had basically uh the middle and then you had new england so that was you know i, I was sort of just shocked that all of a sudden uh within the first month we were we were pretty much done with that section and I don't know. It was it was sad to see it go because it was fun. And and I will say it again. I would definitely if I had to do another section again, I would do Georgia all the way up to um, all the way up to Damascus, Virginia. And I, I and if I had the time, I'd go all the way halfway. I'd go to West Virginia. So that's about a thousand miles uh, of trail. Because in Virginia, well, again, we'll get into it. I almost feel like just diving in now, but I won't because I need to prepare. I need to read my journal and everything. But I don't know. It was it was just super cool. And, uh, oh, man, I miss it. I long for the woods. Those days, it's, it's hard to describe. But when you are on one of these long-distance trails, part of the fun is knowing – how much more time you have you know if you've ever been on a week-long camping trip or even just a weekend you go out and after one or two days you're already halfway there and you know you're going to be returning back and in a lot of ways that's great you're going to get a shower you're going to get this that and in in a small way doing the AT is is kind of more akin to just doing multiple week-long camping trips all in a row and never retracing your steps. And so you get the perks of returning to a hotel and being able to clean up and eat and drink and do all that sort of stuff that you missed, but you also don't have to re-enter real life by any way, shape, or form. And when we were doing these hops from Hot Springs to Irwin to... Um. Oh, where else? Damascus. All that sort of. It was. It was great because you know you do you you get all the perks and none of the none of the drawbacks of of like oh well I got to be on work on Monday that that wasn't happening. We just knew that there was so much more to go and and it just I don't know. It's a fantastic feeling and God, I just it makes me want to go and hike it again so mad, but. I think I think if it's going to be another one, it's got to be one of the others. 
unless for some reason I get it in my head that I want to go southbound. But again, life is all about new experiences. And that's, uh, that's sort of what I really, uh, what really deters me from, from hiking the AT again. And I, I've said many, many times, I wish more than anything that I could hike the AT for the first time again, if that makes any sense. All right. So that wraps up part four of the Appalachian Trail through hike. And just wanted to say I've got a few more interviews coming up and I'm going to try to, you know, intermix them with, with some more of the AT stuff. But I'm actually trying to write the book about the trail hike while I'm doing this podcast. So I might have to just load up a bit more on the interviews and do these because it takes a little while to uh, get the words down on paper. But uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, please think about uh, supporting it. Just go to Podbean and search Sailing Into Oblivion podcast and you can become one of the patrons. And that will just make sure that uh, I can keep doing the podcast and uh, you can keep listening. All right, great. Thanks for listening.